You're listening to Rosie on the House. Saturday morning, 8 o'clock. Come on around back, Arizona. It is the fourth Saturday of the month. And in the years I've been doing this, this is the first time I've ever had a five-month February. Oh, right. Yeah. A five-week month in February. Yeah, exactly. Or I, I said that Saturday. Right. <laughs> I know what you mean. Five Saturdays in, in February. In February. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and it doesn't have anything to do with Beetlejuice or the Supernova or anything like that. It's just a, a leap year, and it happened to be that the very first day of February was a Saturday, and the last day is our leap year today, February 29th. And Farmer Greg, it's another weird coincidence. It's raining today, and you're teaching rain harvesting today. <laughs> right? And we're talking aquaponics. Yeah, exactly. So much wetness on one day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wow, and I love aquaponics. I actually started playing with aquaponics in the seventies. Um, I was uh, my first business here in town. I used to clean, service, and build fish ponds for people, and I used to convert people's fish ponds into aquaculture ponds. Or I'm sorry, I used to convert swimming their pools. swimming pools <laughs> into aquaculture ponds, uh, so they could grow fish in their swimming pool. And um, so I was playing with that in the late seventies and early eighties when I was in my teens. So this is a return to home. I love this conversation. Aquaponics. And you've got uh, brought a special guest in with you as well. I have. This is Chris Gardner. Welcome, Chris. Thanks. And it's nice. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. Chris has been playing with aquaponics for a long time. He's one of the members of our growphx.com organization. We have a networking group where we uh, have put together people that know how to do this kind of stuff so that when I get a phone call... And somebody says, hey, I need to do aquaponics, or I need to do uh, sprinklers for my yard, or I need a chicken coop built. GrowPHX.com is where we send them to f- help with those things. And Chris is uh, one of our members, and he does uh, uh, sprinklers. Irrigation and garden starts. And irrigation and garden starts and aquaponics. So what is aquaponics? Oh, aquaponics is the combination of two words, aquaculture which most people have a familiarity with, fish is farming. raising of fish, yep. and hydroponics. Now, hydroponics is a method to grow plant roots by circulating water and nutrients through a soilless media. So aquaponics is the integration of aquaculture and hydroponics to grow food in a constructed environment. Oh, wow. So your fish plus plants in an ecosystem equals food. Well, and this is really permaculture-like. So permaculture, I like to call the art and science of, of working with nature. This is very permaculture-like because the system is kind of self-powered, right? It's, it's self, self-promoting. The fish uh, reproduce, and we, all we really add are, are, is fish food mm-hmm. and water on occasion to top off the tank and occasionally chelated iron. Uh, there's no iron in the fish food, so you have to add that. All the other nutrients are in the fish food, and the, the fish uh, make the plant nutrients out of the fish food with the help of bacteria. And with the, There you go. So basically what's happening is the fish are pooping. Yes. That water's going into the hydroponics area. The plants are cleaning the water. Actually, the bacteria are cleaning the water. Oh, very good. Okay, good. So the bacteria, when the fish poop... Mm-hmm. They poop. There's a lot of um, nitrogen in their poop, right? But that f- and plants need nitrogen, but not the form of nitrogen that that comes out of poop. And so that form of nitrogen is ammonia. And so as the water circulated through the 
media beds that ammonia is converted to nitrite mm -hmm. by the bacteria, and then that nitrite is converted to nitrate, which is the form of nitrogen the plants use. Oh, oh, very good. So it's the nitrogen cycle that's essentially... It's the nitrogen cycle, yes. Oh, cool. Tell us about your aquaponics uh, garden in your backyard, because I know you have a couple of them, right? We've got two of them. I initially started with um, uh, IBC tote. Those are integrated bulk containers. And mine's about three feet by three feet by about four feet. And it holds about 300 gallons. And that tank, I use that as my fish tank. And it's half buried in the earth to help regulate temperature. And then I have another, uh, I have two media beds. And essentially, those are the IBC totes cut in half and then uh, flipped over. Flipped over, so they, they become uh, media beds. Mm -hmm. And those are about a, a foot deep, filled with soilless media. Some people use gravel. And you use a pump to pump water from the fish tank up into the media bed. The media bed fills up, and then it gets to a certain point, and then there's a siphon. It reverse siphons and empties the bed of all the water into the fish tank, and then the plant roots are able to breathe air. Interesting. And then the tank slowly fills up. The tank, fill, the media bed fills with the nutrient water. The plants use that, and then it drains, and the plants are able to, the plant roots are able to breathe. Interesting. Well, and at the same time, oxygen's going into that water so that the fish can breathe. Yes, and that's that's a key point. And that's one of our challenges here in Arizona uh, is the extreme temperature. Mm -hmm. As it gets hot, less oxygen is able to, to stay in the water. And so it's, if you have a lot of fish and it gets hot, uh, you might have some, some issues. And when the power goes out, it's a scramble. Oh, I'll bet. It's a scramble. I'll bet, yeah, that would be a problem. I remember one year we had a big storm. I had to take off from work, pull my car in the driveway, and and connect an air bubbler from my so car. cigarette lighter. Yeah. <laughs> so it was about 110 outside. I'm sitting in my van all day trying to do work while keeping my fish alive. But they survived. They nice. survived. Wow. So okay. you have to be ready for that. Now, what are you growing plant-wise? Depends on the season. Uh, right now, is, is, it's great because we're growing a lot of uh, green veggies, uh, chard, kale, Bok choy, bok maybe. choy, anything that has a shallow root system that doesn't require a low pH does really well. In the summer, we grow a lot of basil, does really well in aquaponics. Oh, really? Yes. Mint does really well. And as far as a flower, mm -hmm. uh, tropical milkweed is, is a beautiful flower. Uh, pollinators love it, and it's sort of unique to have that in, in, the, in Maricopa County. Yeah. Why would you grow something you can't eat? Because it's a pollinator. It's good for the pollinators. Oh, good. We, we are committed to encouraging pollinator development and, and growth and well, by planting natives. Is this the and same milkweed? And milkweed is, is very specific for one of the pollinators, right? It's specific for a lot of the butterflies. Mm -hmm. We have not seen one monarch yet, oh, uh -huh. but uh, we see a lot of queen butterflies and uh, painted ladies. They're all over that. Oh, nice. I was going to say, the milkweed, does that produce monarch butterflies too as well? Uh, is that, the, or is that a different type of milkweed? Monarch butterflies, they, they tend to um, migrate along waterways. 
And so where we would find my, uh, uh, the uh, monarch butterflies would be along the Salt River um, okay. pathway. They, they found a lot of them at the Audubon Center on, on Central and, and the, the river. Oh, nice. It would be a good place to look for monarchs. You, you've mentioned, did you have something? Well, yeah. So that's what we're growing plant-wise. Uh, what kind of what kind of fish meat am I getting? Oh, by far, uh, I'm a sucker for halibut. <laughs> oh, <laughs> halibut! By far, the most popular fish in Maricopa, Maricopa County are tilapia. They are uh, a fish uh, from Africa, so they're adju- they're well adjusted to the the high temperatures that we have here in Arizona, Maricopa County, compared to like a trout. That's um, more of a Cool weather, cool water fish. I would, I would presume. Well, and t- trout actually need running water. Right. They can't. You couldn't put them in a pond. They're not going to like a pond. But you could, you could raise um, tilapia. You could raise. Uh, bluegill. I like. I like catfish po' boys. Could I? Could I? S- Absolutely. Stick some big old catfish. catfish in there. Yeah. Yep. Just have to have a big, bigger pond. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the size of how many gallons is your fish pond? Maybe it's it's about two hundred gallons. Yep. And you can get about one fish for every five gallons of water is comfortable. And that's tilapia. That's that's of the tilapia. That's yeah. the tilapia. With catfish, it's going to go down a little You'd bit. only get like one or two in something that size. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little few more than that. But yeah. So we've got the tilapia for fish meat. They're also, uh, their natural life cycle is providing the nutrients for these plants that are natural to their life cycle. So it's a... We're, we're, we're producing two different types of food here. We're both vegetable and, and fish. Right. And, um, so we actually, at Urban Farm, uh, we have an online course on aquaponics. So you can, you know, it's a seven-week online course. You can dive in and learn all about uh, aquaponics. It's called the Fish Powered Garden. Nice. Yeah. Fish Powered Garden. Fish seven weeks. Fish Powered Garden, yeah. Is this like a eight to five every day? No, 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 no. no. Seven hours. <laughs> seven hours. Yeah, okay. Seven hours. But you could learn all about it. But the point, is, the, my point was, is this is called the fish-powered garden. So it's really the fish that are propelling the system forward. And then, as I'm harvesting the fish, you know, the Indians used to put fish in with their corn to make it grow. Are you composting that and using? Yeah, we harvest the fish. Generally, we do a big fish harvest in the fall. The larger the fish are, the harder time they have in the winter. When the water temperature gets below 55 degrees Fahrenheit, that's the kill zone uh, for fish, So, uh, especially for the larger fish. So we harvest the larger fish um, in, in the fall, and we, we let the small and medium-sized fish uh, remain in the tank. Right now I've got maybe 20 um, fish in my tank that have survived, and then um, uh, those fish will grow through the spring, and once the water gets to about 80 degrees, they'll, they'll um, reproduce, and I'll have a, a, a tank full of, of little fry, and uh, those fry will, through the summer will grow into mature fish. Their parents will be on the dinner plate that fall. <laughs> During the summer, as the, the fish mate and the tank gets, gets bigger and the fish grow out, we'll, we'll, try to, we'll take the males and harvest those throughout the summer to keep space in the tank for the, the younger guys and the females to grow out. That sounds like quite a job, standing there trying to pull out which one's just the male. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I, it's, it's very difficult to sex fish. What, what I generally do is I have a five-gallon bucket, 
and I harvest them one at a time. And the tilapia are mouth breeders. So the females will have the, the fry in their mouth. So when you harvest a fish and you put them in the five-gallon bucket, if you see a bunch of fry, that's a female. Interesting. More put her back. Well, actually, I keep them, harvest more until I get some, some good males. And All right. Here's a guy that can't grow anything. And I want to ask you when we get back, raising fish. It, it sounds like a very, very water-intensive industry. And we're doing it in the middle of the desert? Cool. Fish skeletons are made of cartilage or bones. They live in fresh water, salt water, oceans, and ponds. Fish say. Goof, goof. Fish say. Goof, goof. Fish say. Goof, goof. Fish say. Goof, goof. Fish say. I'm not sure how Gary finds these. But I like to envision in my mind Gary on a Friday night recording all of this just for Saturday's right. broadcast. Doing, doing Google searches. <laughs> While watching of... live PD. Yeah, it, it gets weirder. <laughs> Talking aquaponics, and the question was posed going right as we're going into the break. What, uh, what kind of water use are we talking? Is this, uh, is this something sustainable for the desert? Well, so uh, I get this question a lot because of the fruit trees. You know, are fruit trees something sustainable for the desert? And really the bigger question is, is 4.8 million people sustainable for the desert? That's really the question that we have to ask. And that's ourselves. a low number. <laughs> well, uh, that's for, I think when 2020 cen- or the 2020 census comes out, we're probably closer to six. <laughs> well, in the state, I'm, I'm saying the Phoenix metropolitan mm. area. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, really what we're there's a there's a balance here. And the balance that we run into is, all right, do we ship this stuff in? Do you know what food miles are? You ever heard of food miles? I have an idea, but no, I I haven't heard specifically. It's the miles that food travels from where it's grown to where it's consumed. And what do you think, and he guesses, how many miles is the average food miles in the United States? Make up something. Uh, 1,200. 1,500 to 2,000 miles. So when we're looking at a peach or a fish or a tomato or anything that's grown in right now, blueberries in the grocery store are from Peru or Chile. One of the two. I can't remember. Long way. Long way. The environmental impact on that is huge for the, you know, picking it, shipping it. So on and so on. Well, and just so, the manufacturing process for oil consumes a bunch of water. <laughs> right, right, to get the stuff transferred from there to here. So that's really the thing that we have to look at when we're looking at, all right, is growing food in the desert appropriate? Well, first of all, there's 4.8 million people in the, in the valley. Secondly, the environmental impact of shipping it. Third thing, and this is a really important piece, the nutritive value or the nutrition, the nutritional value of the food. When something is picked, this doesn't, this doesn't include fish, um, or maybe it does. When something is picked off of a vine, a peach is picked, it's picked when it's not ripe. If they're, you know, if it's coming from South America or Australia, they pick it when it's not ripe. Because it, it'd be bad by the time it got here. Because it'd be bad by the time it got here. Plus, the nutrient density of it isn't complete. So they're picking a let's just call it a peach. They're picking a peach that's not fully nutrient dense. 
And then the second they pick it and they travel it, it starts degrading nutritionally. So by the time it gets to the grocery store, the nutritional value is less. Um, and I would suspect the same thing would be for, you know, fish. Once they kill a fish, the nutritional value starts to degrade so that it's not as good for us. So that's the balance that we have to look at is when we're looking at, at um, are we going to raise food in the desert and how are we going to raise food in the desert? Or are we going to ship it from Nebraska or Chile or Peru or New Zealand, which those are places that we ship food from all the time. So that's really the bigger question is how do we look at how do we look at the, uh, the environmental impact of this stuff? And so I say grow the food locally. Here's the cool thing. Hydroponics uses 90% less water. Isn't that right? Correct. Yeah. Compared to conventional agriculture, when you apply water to a, a field, that water infiltrates into the ground. The plant uses part of it, and then it, it, it goes below the, where the plants can use the, mm -hmm. that water. And so um, with aquaponics, you're recirculating that water. You're not losing any water to the soil by infiltration. You're losing, the only water you're losing is the water that evaporates and the water the plants use. So during the summer, during peak uh, evaporation, times of evaporation, we're adding maybe 30 gallons of water a week to a 200-gallon tank. So it is actually quite water efficient. How many times can you recycle the water? It infinite. You, I've never had to empty my tank. I guess Mother Nature's done it for millions of years. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Right. That's the benefit of using the tilapia. They can take a, a high saline content water better than than other fish. And so when you're adding your your tap water, your fresh water, you're you're reducing that salinity in the water. Okay, you guys have really piqued my curiosity. Th this sounds cool, but it, on first impression, for someone listening, it seems capital intensive. There is an investment. It's a do-it-yourself project that involves uh, many different uh, fields. How did you get in it? Where do you, where do you start exploring? I bought a book. Okay. <laughs> And and now, for everyone out there listening that's not sure what a book is, there used to be these places called bookstores <laughs> before Google came along, and it had paper, and it would tell you stuff. Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> More aquaponics here with Farmer Greg. Woo! And Chris Gardner. <laughs> and Chris Gardner, right after this. Fish in a vase, fish in a box, fish in a box, fish in a jaws, fish in a cup, fish in a hat, there's a fish inside that cat. Really feed your fish to that cat? No, of course not. Ugh. Is that a fillet of fish? Play it again. Fish in a bag, fish in a mug, fish in a jar, fish in a jug, fish in a pot, fish in a pan, there's a fish inside. You know, we are talking aquaponics, and I hadn't mentioned if you would like to ask a question, we've got oh, yeah. two very experienced aquaponic aquaponicers. Uh, there you go. I Is like that, that. aquaponicers. That That's nice. <laughs> I'll it, take it. In studio at one at one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text to four one one nine two three or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com. And we're coming into the bittersweet time of the year because we know summer's coming, you know, and nobody ever looks forward to those triple digit days. But 
I'll take those triple digit over 60 degrees any day. Okay. <laughs> Which is why you live here. That's right. You were mentioning peaches earlier. Oh, yes. I, I got my peach blooms. I noticed the first oh, yes. one's already coming out. I love Loaded. the spring peach blossom. Yes. I They're right outside my bathroom window, so every morning getting ready for work in the day, I just get to watch this, this, the beautiful peach blossom in, nice. in the springtime. That's my favorite part of the spring is being able to see that blossom. That's yeah. A, and then shortly there hereafter, in a couple months, we'll, we'll get to eat them. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, I've done my fruit tree program for 20 years now, uh, and it's a fruit tree education program first. And I do a lot of experimenting. And over the course of the past five years, we have discovered the magic bullet for growing fruit trees in the valley. And when people follow our directions, when they do what we tell them to do, magic happens with our trees. I've never seen in 45 years of growing fruit trees in the valley, I've never seen this kind of success. So um, planting your trees right is, you, you got to do that. And we figured it out. And I share that freely uh, throughout our fruit tree program. So it's, it's getting started off right and then um, following the directions afterwards, which yeah. is hard for a lot of people to do, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> but they're simple directions. So, Chris, you mentioned something a couple of times um, that has baffled me in the past. I, I mean, I've done this long enough that I know, but um, it could be one of those questions. It's like, what is soilless media? Soilless media is growing media that doesn't have any humic material in it. That's organic matter. And so gravel can be used as a soilless media. Mm -hmm. Generally, soilless media has the same diameter particle throughout. So the size of a marble? Exactly. About a half inch diameter works great. And the pore space between those grains is where the water and the nutrients flow. Mm -hmm. And so soilless media... Uh, you, 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 you can reuse it over and over and over again. There's no organic material to break down. Got it. So there's, there's gravel. Correct. Like pea gravel, three-eighths you know, three inch pea gravel. There's um, also a, uh, a volcanic version of it, I think, right? There's, is, it, is it volcanic? It's those little marble-sized the, brown they're things. They're clay. Oh, they're clay. They're clay. And that, they're called hydroton. They're, they're essentially look like clay marbles. Mm -hmm. And the clay provides pits and pore spaces for that bacteria mm -hmm. to absorb and live. Gravel is an inexpensive, but it's generally smooth. All and right. bacteria have a harder time adsorbing to the smooth surfaces of the gravel compared to the more rough surfaces of some other soilless media, such as the hydrogen clay or expanded uh, shale mm -hmm. um, is, is a product. And also I've used um, uh, this product uh, that's like a, a glass foam, which has been oh, interesting. interesting. Glass foam. Glass foam. That was my question. It's like, <laughs> What? I, it's not. It's super expensive, and I have worms in my media bed uh -huh. that help uh, take care of some of the the uh, extra stuff. Extra stuff, and the worms do not like that that glass media. They prefer the hydrogen or I'll gravel. I'll bet. So let's let's like dive in. <laughs> Pun intended. Uh -huh. Let's dive in. So we're standing in front of your your aquaponics garden. Um, 
Tell us how it works specifically and what we might see. Well, what you'll hear uh-huh. is the flowing water. Okay. The pump is always on. It's always circulating water. That's important. That's important. The, uh, you have to circulate. What The fish are using up oxygen in that tank. Mm-hmm. And so as the water circulates, it, it adds oxygen to the, to the water and also um, clears the solids and, and chemistry of the water. Now, are you pre-filtering that water before it goes into your media bed? The media bed is where the plants are growing. Correct. I do have a filter, but it's a filter that just collects solids. Got it. And so um, it's called a radial flow filter, Mm -hmm. and it's essentially a a 55-gallon drum, and water pumps up through the center of the drum, up a two-inch pipe. Mm -hmm. And then when it gets near the top, I've got a five-gallon bucket that's inverted, the water hits that, flows up out of the pipe, and then it goes, hits that bucket, which Mm -hmm. is a larger diameter, flows downward at a slower rate because it's a larger diameter. Right. And then the water flows upward between the bucket and the edge of the barrel, Mm -hmm. and the water goes even slower because it's a larger diameter. So as that water slows down, any solids will fall out of the water column and collect in the bottom of that 55-gallon drum. Cool. So maybe every three months or so, Mm -hmm. I'll empty out that 55-gallon drum, and you get, oh, maybe 12 inches of a sludgy gray material. So I used to... What do you do with the sludgy gray I was going to go right there. I was going to go right there. So (laughs) when I used to clean people's fish ponds, remember I used to, from 75 to 85, 1975 to 1985, I used to clean people's fish ponds. And I I would go to their house and I would put it in their garden beds. And some of them would freak out out oh my god what's you know it's going to smell yada yada and here's my guarantee that i made them back then at age 17 i said if it ever smells i promise i will come and get it out i never had to it's great for your garden beds right yeah i i siphon it off right into my garden beds yeah flower beds specifically because it's closest yeah so you must be a, a water engineer to have figured this all out I'm a hydrogeologist, <laughs> a geologist, not a not an engineer. But okay, but you don't need to be one of those to no, figure this out. No. This stuff is really quite simple. It's simple. You, you have to get into it, mm-hmm. have get an understanding of the complete picture of what's going on because it does involve water chemistry, plant plants, fish biology, engineering, mm-hmm. arts, science. It involves all that. That's what <laughs> makes it a great do-it-yourself project. Yeah, nice. Nice. And so you asked about the pricing of it earlier. The investment. And then you were talking about odor. I mean, uh, I, I do a fair amount of fishing. Yeah. And uh, I go into bait shops. <laughs> I mean, when I, when I walk up to your house, am I going to know your aquaponic gardening? Just from the, the sound of flowing water, you'll not smell it. That's pleasant. Yeah, it's very pleasant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there, there isn't a fish odor. No. Oh, no. gosh, no. None. Not at all. Any more than is there is with somebody's fish pond. You guys have really got my curiosity up. <laughs> so what's the largest? I mean, we're talking, in your case, we're a couple hundred gallons, a three by three by four foot container for the yeah. fish. What's the largest scale project you've done? Well, there are large scale projects all over the, the country. Probably the largest locally is at uh, St. Vincent de Paul. Yeah. Is, is a good example. That's what ten thousand gallons, maybe. It's a it's a 
it's pretty quite big an one. operation. It's quite an operation. If you've it. ever been on I-10 on the South Loop, I think they call mm-hmm. it the Durango Curve, you just look for the white dome tent, and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's inside that. Yeah. And they, they'll they give you a tour of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just call them, schedule the time, go down. The the volunteers that work it, and I mean, they're happy to show they're, you. It's, they love to show it off. It's impressive. Yeah. And the, I don't, I won't quote any numbers, but when they tell you how many pounds of food they're producing and that's getting used there in their um, kitchen, in their kitchen is it is just awesome. Yeah. Well, and that, the St. Vincent de Paul Urban Farm isn't just the aquaponics; they've got a couple of acres that they're actually raising food on. Uh, Nika is one of the farmers over there. She's amazing. What she does is, uh, you know, and they're just they're just figuring out urban farming. And I understand they have another site they're going to start, and they may have already, already have. I was over there the other day, over by the state capitol. Kind of like five acres over there or something? Uh, no, it's, it's probably a half acre. Half acre? Yeah. There was another one, it seemed like, south of that existing location that they were going to start. But well, that... Frank Martin's over there, and that's he's got four or five acres. Okay. With, uh, uh, oh, sorry, Frank, I can't remember the name <laughs> of your farm. Carrot, Crooked, Carrot, oh, Crooked Sky. There you go. Thank you. Yeah. And so then this half acre that's going in by the Capitol, that's neat that it'll, it'll, there'll be something down there. Oh, there already is. It's beautiful. It's They're doing... Uh, and from the Capitol, where is it? A little bit east and a little bit south. Okay. On Jackson, maybe, if I'm... If I'm it's at the... Uh, you know, they have a big um, uh, facility down there that serves homeless people and, you know like that so that's where it's at okay very cool now back to aquaponics the endless bunny trails that uh, permaculture <laughs> and horticulture and aquaponics can lead you down and you know this so, whole concept of creating our own food supply here mm-hmm. and not relying on transports coming from you know on average 15 to 1800 miles you yeah. said earlier wow yeah, yeah well and, uh, you know i'm i'm a crazy what-if kind of guy. And in 1991, I created myself to be the person on the planet responsible for transforming our global food system. And it's not a job. It's a passion. It's what I get to wake up to every morning. And inside of that, I've been looking at how do we make Phoenix a food secure place, which means how do we grow enough food in Phoenix to feed Phoenix? And I think we do it through cool projects like aquaponics, um, like, uh, you know, growing fruit trees in your yard. Backyard chickens. Backyard chickens. Absolutely. How many people out there, by a show of hands, how many people out there have backyard chickens? You know, you do, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You do have chickens, Rosie? That's a long story. That's a long story. <laughs> we, okay, good. We, I have a chicken coop. <laughs> <laughs> Chris has chickens. Uh, Kari Spencer, you know, she's the microfarm project person. There, we're seeing. We so- had someone call the office yesterday. Lance is like, "Hang on, I, and let me put you on hold and find out." And he's like, "Can you have chickens in the city?" And I said, "Well, yes. yes. The the ordinance is against roosters. That that's what you have to watch out for. But right. there's no restrictions to chickens." Well. Kind of. Kind of. If you're in Glendale, this is mind-blowing. Glendale and Chandler, you can't have chickens. There are farming communities, and you can't have chickens. Somebody out there, we've got to change (laughs) that. Get with the powers that be in Glendale and Chandler and, and make them change that. Um, I go, I go meet homeowners in Arcadia that want a kitchen remodel or a second-story addition or something. And they have you chickens? Would, you would never have seen chickens 20 yep. years ago. Yep. In Arcadia, it's like everybody has a pet chicken. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, They're everywhere. You know, growing food 
Um, it's it is in my opinion. So I'm 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 uh, pref- I'm preaching now. That's the word I was after. I'm preaching. The single most important thing we can do right now is figure out where our food comes from and how to grow our own, whether it's fish, whether it's chickens, whether it's fruit trees in your yard, whether it's a small garden. You, I tell people this all the time. This is me preaching. I tell people this all the time. The simplest thing to grow and the most expensive thing to buy are herbs. 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 Yeah. herbs. Grow herbs, man. You, you know, for $4, you get six basil leaves. And and you never use them all before they go bad. Right. <laughs> right, exactly. You and me go fishing in the dark, lying on our backs and counting the stars where the cool grass grows. We're fishing for some sports tickets here. I kind of miss that. We're overloaded on giveaways, and generally uh, they're not until 1020, but we've got stuff for every hour. This is Phoenix Suns tickets. I'm sorry. That's what the that's what These the are email, coyotes coyotes. Oh, I thought the I thought the uh, email this morning said Phoenix Suns. It says Suns and Coyotes, but the uh. Suns are all digital, and I don't have the details on that one. I got if you want to be entertained, you watch them try and get a basketball through a hoop with a hockey stick. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, there you I'd go. show up for that. All right, so text to four one one nine two three the answer to this question: Aquaponic is a combination of what two words? Oh. We'll pick a random right winner at the oh, end of this programming go. segment and send you to Tuesday, February 25th, 7 p.m.'s a puck drop. And this is the Arizona Coyotes, and they take on... Hey. It doesn't even say, but you get a parking pass. Hey, I can answer that question. Uh, can I win the great. <laughs> uh, great. Oh, if you can text it. Uh, there you go. You know, I think putting the Suns on ice might be more entertaining than the Coyotes <laughs> On a basketball, <laughs> on a basketball court. <laughs> I don't know hockey well enough, but that says Florida. What's the Florida hockey team? Uh the- oh, we're all in trouble. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're all in trouble. <laughs> hey, I know the Coyotes. That's all that counts. I don't care about hey, Florida. Hey, Rosie, you mentioned uh, earlier in the show the price of of getting one of these systems set up, and then self engineering it. I mean, I'm, my interest is very, very peaked. This really sounds cool. Yeah, but, but boy, it sounds like a major time and financial commitment it, well so here's the thing anytime you set up growing anything so if you plant a fruit tree people come to me and they'll spend 58 dollars for a fruit tree i'm, I'm telling them they're going to spend about another 50 to 70 dollars on that tree the first year to do it successfully to do it right so that you can be successful when you go to set up a garden whether it's in the ground whether it's a raised bed garden whether it's aquaponics whether it's a leer garden which is another form of aquaponics whether it's a tower garden there's an investment necessary okay. and really if you want to do a if you want to be successful growing things for a garden you're going to spend you know for a 4 by 8 garden you're going to spend 2 to 500 dollars to get that garden set up with I the can right see soil yeah. with the right soil with the nutrients with everything that you need to make sure that you're successful the nice thing about aquaponics or my tower garden, which is an aeroponic system, um, is that you set it up once. So my aeroponic or tower garden that I bought seven years ago, it was $700. Okay. But once I paid it off, I think I wrote a check for it, but once I paid it off, it works for me every year, year after year after year. Aquaponics is the same way. Once the system is set up, there's um, not much for you to do except harvest, which is really cool. 
And our buddy Edmund Williams does something called the Lear Garden. It's an acronym that stands for, I can't even remember. But I have a Lear Garden, which is an aquaponics, a soil aquaponics system in my backyard. We put it in four months ago. There was a cost of putting it in. We planted it, and I've been harvesting on it for three months. So when you're doing a system like this, it's almost an instant garden. You know, if you go out in your backyard and you put some plants in the ground, um, it, it usually takes three years for the soil to get to a place where... To build that, that soil food web, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when we're doing it this way, it's almost instantaneous. So it's a bit of a trade-off. And, and if I wanted to just pop the clutch and drop the accelerator and be in, <laughs> be in this yeah. in two months, how would I do that? Well... Get some resources, get a book, come up with a design. Can I buy a kit? You can. There's a a company out there, uh, Chad Hudspeth, used to live here in town. Um, He's a longtime friend of mine. He's the one that does our aquaponics course at urbanfarm.org. He's at endlessfoodsystems.com. You just, you know, know, go to his website and you can buy one and he'll ship it to your door. So, you know, you can figure it out on your own, which is a lot of fun. It would know? be. It would be if you had the time. If you had the time. Yep. Absolutely. The, we can do that. Um, these Lear Gardens. It's, uh, the, the Lear Gardens, Edmund, is if you shoot me an email at greg at urbanfarm.org, I can connect you with uh, Ed. Um, and he can put one in your yard for you fairly, you know, inexpensively. Um, you don't build them, do you? I don't. Yeah, but what I did is I went to Craigslist, uh, found someone selling these integrated uh, bulk containers, IBC totes. Uh, you could probably find them for about a hundred to one hundred and fifty bucks each, and that's that's your base, that's your tank. One is your tank, and then you buy a second one, cut it in half, and those are your media beds. And those generally you can find them for a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars a piece. I got mine for free, um, but they're they're out there. You could buy a a pump. Um, anywhere, Home Depot. What's that book you've got? Oh, I've got a book here. I I purchased back in 2013. It's called Aquaponic Gardening by Sylvia Bernstein. And it's pretty much the aquaponics Bible, uh, published in 2011. It's it's a great resource. Yeah. And and she uh, has an online presence, and you can find. They also buy and sell aquaponics equipment. There you go. And one more piece to this that I was thinking about. You said you have chickens, Chris? Yes. Do they feed the fish? Do the chickens feed the fish? No. So So somebody I remember running into had the chickens above the fish, and the poop from the chicken is what the fish would eat. Well, kind of. (laughs) Kind of. It was was a complete system. That's uh, the garden pool people out in Mesa. They do a version of that as well. So, learning how to become a food secure city. Yeah. Man, these hours fly by. Thank you so much for for, uh, having us. Urbanfarm.com. Urbanfarm.org. There was somebody that asked about uh, our bioflora fertilizer. Just shoot me an email, greg at urbanfarm.org. I have bags for you. I can get you set up.